Now let's turn to Micah. Let's turn to the prophecy of Micah. Chapter 1, verse 2. Hear all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that is therein. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah and John Calvin said that Micah was just a little Isaiah. He's a little Isaiah. Isaiah's prophecies, of course, are great length. And you also find in Micah's prophecies the same emphasis, the same evangel, the same great emphasis upon the judgment and upon this coming of the Christ, of the Messiah. Micah is one of the twelve minor prophets. And like most of the minor prophets, his judgment is pronounced in the name of the Lord upon Israel. Upon the church. Upon the people of God. When you read the Bible, you find that the great epistles of the New Testament, Paul's epistles, were written to the church or to preachers. Timothy and Titus were individuals, but Ephesus and Galatia were churches. These letters were written to the church or to the ministers of the church, directed to them. And when you turn to these minor prophets of the Old Testament, you find that they're speaking to Judah, or to Israel, of course, they do speak to the nations round about, and you have that aspect of judgment upon them. But the great burden of the message of the minor prophets is against the house of Israel for their sin. And in this prophecy of Micah, we have three major sermons, just three of them. And all that we have is that they've been put together and we have a record here of Micah's ministry. And these sermons all begin with the great and glorious call. Hear, listen. I'm going to speak to you. I want Israel to, to pay attention to what the prophet has to say. Now if you'll turn to chapter 1, verse 2. Hear all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. This prophet doesn't waste any time on introductions. He simply says that God Almighty has a, a witness against you. And I have been raised up of God to deliver this message unto you, and you're to listen. Here. Turn over to chapter 3, verse 1. And I said, Here, I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment? That's his second sermon. 
The second great message is to the heads of the house of Jacob and to the princes of the house of Israel. And he says, is it not for you? And then he says, who hate the good and love the evil. That's the beginning of his second sermon. Now let's get the third sermon. Will you turn over to chapter 6? Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with with whom does he have his controversy? His people. His people. And he will plead with Israel. Micah is a prophet whom God has raised up to deal with the house of Israel and with the leaders of Jacob and with the princes within the land. Beloved, what would happen if we rose up and said that the Lord has called us to give all our time and all our message to denouncing the uh, church of the day. The church, the Israel of the day. Denounce the Episcopalians, denounce the Presbyterians, denounce the Methodists, denounce the Baptists, denounce the National Catholic Churches, denounce the World Catholic Churches, and go around over the churches and says, Hear, O ye princes in Israel, you bishops in the church, you men who have places of power in the denominational machinery, listen, you men, God has a controversy with you. God has a judgment to pronounce against you. How long do you think that preacher would last before he got deposed? How long do you think that preacher would be permitted to talk and carry on such denunciations? Oh, beloved, this prophet Micah. And isn't it marvelous that like Amos and these other prophets, these gems of their messages have been preserved and incorporated in the Holy Scriptures? This is in the Bible. And isn't it interesting that one reason these great portions of the Bible are now just clipped out and the modernists never quote from these minor prophets. They don't dare quote from them. If the modernists quoted from the minor prophets and you started looking up the minor prophets, you'd find out the minor prophets were talking about the modernists themselves. If you studied the minor prophets, you'd find out that what they describe in these minor prophets is the very conditions that we're facing right now. And we need some micas. And we need some Amos's. Now, Micah is a prophet. There's no doubt about that because as I pointed out to you in dealing with Micah, with Amos and these others, the Lord revealeth his secrets unto the prophets. And in the prophecy of Micah, we have one of the great secrets. There are a great many there, and I'll show you some more of them before we finish tonight. But we have one of the great and most beloved secrets that you have in the Bible. You know what it is? It's Micah 5, 2. And thou, Bethlehem, though thou be little among the princes of Israel or of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me who is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth hath been from of old, 
from everlasting. And Micah names the city of the birth of the Messiah. And Micah identifies him as a singular, as one individual. He declares that he's to be the ruler of Israel. He's to be the king. And furthermore, his goings forth hath been from of old, from everlasting, the eternal pre-existence of the Messiah. And Micah had this secret revealed unto him. Micah has the credentials of a prophet. There's no problem here. All you have to do is to read this prophecy of Micah and you run into a text like this and then you turn over into the New Testament and when the wise men came seeking out where the Messiah was and they inquired and they said, For thus saith the prophet, Thou Bethlehem Ephratah, out of thee shall he come forth. And they said he was to arise in Bethlehem. He would be born in Bethlehem. And Micah gave the name of the place in which Jesus Christ would enter this earth and see the light of the world as an ordinary baby would see it. Now, Micah has some other great... uh, Uh, secrets and these have to do even with the latter days the second coming the last days we'll be speaking of those but before we get into this aspect of it though let's go back and see the way this man denounced evil in these various messages how stern they were behold this is chapter 1 verse 3 behold the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the water that is poured out or poured down a steep place. Here comes the precipice and water is pouring down, and here's the fire on the candle and the wax melts. For the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel. God's going to come in judgment because of the sins of the house of Israel, and God's going to come in judgment because of the sin of the house of Israel. When you turn over to chapter 2, which I read for you for our scripture, and you turn down to verse 3 of chapter 2, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, against this family do I devise an evil from which ye shall not remove your necks, neither shall ye go haughtily, for the time is evil. This time is evil. Oh, beloved, we have come to evil days, and this man got up Micah in the anointing of God, and he told the children of Israel, the days are evil, you are evil, and God's going to pronounce his judgment upon you. And as you move on down through this great prophecy, and you come over to chapter 4, and you come into verse 10 of chapter 4, and thou shalt go even to Babylon, and there thou shalt be delivered. He named the name of Bethlehem where Christ was to be born. That was 750 years before. But here was Babylon. Here was Assyria. Here was that great power that the children of Israel feared because of its military strength. And this man Micah arises and not only does he mention Bethlehem, but he says Babylon right beyond you. 
Babylon, Assyria is going to march. Their armies are going to come. You will not be able to withstand them. And their desolation of your city and the destruction of your temple will be a judgment from God. And you will be carried away captive into Babylon. My, there's something bold. There's something forthright. There's something courageous. There's something about the preaching of this man. Just think of him getting up there and telling the children of Israel. He says, I'm talking to you. God Almighty is dealing with you in judgment. And you are going to be carried away from your houses. And your children are going to be ravaged. You're going to be made slaves. And these Assyrians that are right over yonder, we can point to where they're living. They're coming down here like hordes with their chariots. And you will not be able to stay them or to stop them. They'll come and they'll burn your city. And they'll carry you off and make you their property and there in Babylon there'll be none to deliver you. That's preaching. That's preaching. All right, now turn back to this first sermon, chapter 1. In verse 5 he says, For the transgression of Jacob is all this and for the sin of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria as an heap of the field and as the plantings of a vineyard. And I will pour down the stones thereon into the valley and I will discover the foundations thereof. God says I'm going to take Mount Ephraim, that is Samaria, up there on that high mountain, the mounts of Ephraim, and I'm going to throw down your stones and they're going to roll down into the valley. And beloved, if you've ever been there, of course, I've had the privilege of going there to Samaria and to see this very place and it's on the hill. And God says I'm going to take the stones that are raised up here and you love your palaces and I'll tear them down and we'll throw them over the precipices and your stones will roll down into the valley. Imagine this man Micah talking about their city like this and degrading the glory of Samaria and telling Samaria that because of her sin God's going to roll the stones of their palaces down over the hills into the valley. That's preaching. That's preaching. That's preaching to an issue. That's preaching to an occasion. That's preaching in the place where preaching counts. That's preaching. All right, go a little further. And all the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces. And all the hires thereof shall be burned with the fire. And all the idols thereof will I lay desolate. For she gathered it for the hire of an harlot. And they shall return to the hire of an harlot. Therefore I will wail and howl. I will go uh, stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the dragons and the morning and morning as of the hoot owls. The hoot owls. The owls are going to hoot. For her wound is incurable. For it is come unto Judah. It is come unto the gates of my people, even to Jerusalem. Declare ye it not at Gath. Weep ye not at all. For the house of Ephrath roll thyself in the dust. Pass ye away, thou inhabitant of Sephir, having thy shame naked. The inhabitants of Zanam came not forth in the morning of Bethzel. He shall receive you. Oh, beloved, 
This is the judgment of God for the inhabitant of Morith. He goes right down through city after city. But evil came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. O thou that inhabiteth Lachish, bind the chariot to the swift beast. She is the beginning of the sin to the daughter of Zion. For the transgression of Israel were found in thee. Just look at that description. Now turn down to chapter 2. Woe unto them that devise iniquity, that work evil upon their beds. You see, beloved, when you turn from the living God, you turn to fall down and worship the idols. Then you turn to crime and wickedness. And then you turn to all manner of immorality. And the crimes that are wrought upon the beds, the awful sins of immorality. And I bear you witness tonight that our country's going down the same road. I bear you witness tonight. Here we've known the truth. We've been like Israel. We've had the prophets. We've had the glory of God in our midst. And we turn aside to materialism and to these idolatries of the day. And with this idolatry comes, of course, the crime and the disobedience and the riots and the sin. And with all of this comes the breakdown of your standards of morality in your homes and among your youth. And that's exactly what Micah describes here. And that's the way it's working out in my country tonight. Now will you turn down to verse 3 of chapter 3. Therefore saith the Lord, Behold, against this family do I devise an evil. Beloved, I can say here tonight on the basis of everything that I know in the Bible about the judgments of God pursuing evil, that unless this nation of ours turns and repents and comes back to God, God's going to devise some evil against our nation. God's going to devise some great evil against us. Neither shall ye go haughtingly, for this time is evil. In that day shall one take up a parable against you and lament with a doleful lamentation and say, We be utterly spoiled. He hath changed the portion of my people. How hath he removed it from me? Turn away. He hath divided our fields. Therefore thou shalt have none that shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the Lord. Prophesy ye not, say they to them that prophesy. They shall not prophesy to them that they shall not take shame. O thou that art named the house of Judah, is the spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these his doings? Judah, Jacob, did God do this for you? No, you did it yourself. You did it yourself. You're guilty of the sin. You're guilty of this disobedience. You're guilty of this shame. You're guilty of this thing. Look down just a little further, verse 9. The women of my people have ye cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children have ye taken away my glory forever. Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest. Because it is polluted, it shall destroy you even with a sore destruction. 
If a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. Mike is saying, if there's somebody arises up, you get you some prophets. There'll be prophets that'll tell you that it's all right, and he'll prophesy to you of wine and strong drink, and he'll tell you you never had it so good. There'll be prophets who'll come along and talk like that to you. They'll tell you these things in the midst of this decline, in the midst of this pollution, in the midst of this impending judgment, in the midst of the threatening invasion of the Assyrians, in the midst of these conditions. There'll be prophets and they'll come up, but they'll be the false prophets. They'll be the lying prophets. They'll be the prophets that to deceive you and to mislead you. All right, let's go into chapter 3 a little more, a little deeper there. Is it not for you to know judgment? Have you people decided that there is no such thing as judgment? Have you people decided that there is no God in the heavens that's going to deal with iniquity? Have you decided that? You who hate the good and love the evil, who pluck off their skin from off them and their flesh from off their bones who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skins from off them. He's talking about the the princes of the house of Israel, the heads of Jacob. Here are these leaders who live with all their plush and all their elegance and they take their flesh and what they have from off the people. And they break their bones and chop them in pieces as for the pot. You cut a chicken up, you know, and put it in the pot. And as flesh within the cauldron. Then shall they cry unto the Lord. But he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at the time. As they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err. That bite with their teeth and cry peace. These prophets that say, peace, peace. This is, this, is Jer- this is Isaiah. Peace, peace, and there is no peace. And here are the prophets that are crying, peace, peace, peace. They're the ones that are misleading the people and causing them to err. He that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. Therefore, night shall be unto you. It's going to get darker and darker and darker, and you'll have no light that you might see. That ye shall not have a vision. There'll be no prophets to speak to you. God will close up the heavens. There'll be no messengers. There'll be a famine of the word in the land. And God says there'll be nothing to guide you in that day of darkness and judgment. Ye shall not divine. You'll not be able to decide what's good and what's evil. And that's what they're telling us on every hand, ladies and gentlemen. They're telling us everywhere. It's not black. It's not white. We've got to have the grace. And these fundamentalists who come along and say evil's evil and good is good and make it black and make it white and make it righteous and make it wicked. And they draw these lines as the Bible draws them. They're making the issues too simple. And they have very... Uh, Simple answers to great, involved, and complicated questions. Beloved, there is no complication to this matter of sin. It's either obeying God's commandment or being a sinner. It is that plain, and God draws it plainly. On every hand you're being told today, we can't make yes and no answers anymore. We can't say a thing is true and false anymore. We must get in the middle where things are blended and where there's gray and 
where you must make some value judgments and uh, you must think in these terms. And beloved, the world has come down to that area of confusion because there is no longer any standard that's right. There is no longer any standard of the law of God before us which determines for us that which is true and that which is evil. And God is speaking here and oh, how this prophet cries out in such strong terms. And he says about these prophets, he says, they make my people err and it will get dark and they will not be able to divine and the sun shall go down over the prophets and the day shall be dark over them and God have mercy on us when darkness settles down and you don't have any voices in the land and you don't have any prophets who are lifting up the word of God. Did you ever see such a sermon like that? Isn't that beautiful? Don't you love that? My, that's a magnificent sermon. My, oh my, I'm glad I started preaching on these minor prophets. It does something when you run into texts like that and passages like, like this. They can't divine. They can't tell the evil from the good. These prophets are bringing judgment and God says there'll be a famine. There'll be a famine in the land. And then what will the people do? God says, I'll close my ears. I won't hear their prayers. I won't even send them prophets anymore. I'll let them just live and enjoy their darkness. And they can just wallow out there in their own squalor. And that's what they'll have. And when they have it, they'll call it uh, peace. And when they have it, they'll call it peace. All right, now, beloved, as I give you this dark side, and it is such a dark side. It is such a dark side. But will you turn with me now to chapter 7, to the close of this very last chapter. Notice verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He remembereth not his anger forever because he delighteth in his mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Oh, beloved, when you hear this prophet get up and denounce sin, and did you hear me last Sunday night as I dealt with Amos, and it's very much like Amos, beloved. You can't talk about pardon and grace until men realize that they're condemned and that they need a Savior. And we need preachers today who will preach judgment and wrath and iniquity and sin that these great convictions may fall upon men and women and sin will be recognized as the outrage against God and that we're guilty before God. Every mouth has to be stopped. The whole world has to become guilty. And when you get to that place, beloved, then it's time for the preacher to step up and say, our God is merciful. He will abundantly pardon. Then it's time to offer to sinners the message of life, but you don't offer them the message of life until they first have received the message of death. And let's be done with this soft, namby-mamby preaching of so many of our middle-of-the-road fundamentalists in this country tonight. And you people recognize it for what it is when you see it and when it comes to you. 
We must deal with the judgments of God against our iniquity and the judgments of God against the house of Israel, against what's happening in our day. I went out to the Episcopal Convention yesterday, beloved, and I was there. And I would just love to tell you people there's some things I'd like to tell you, but I don't dare say them on the radio. But I want to say to you people that I had this press conference and we stood there. And then it was that Bishop Pike came along and I met him for the first time and he said he wouldn't debate me. And then these others came up and they began to talk and I was introduced to one of the well-known bishops. His name is well-known in this country and he stood there and he turned and he told me that I was doing nothing but harm and I was ruining the work of God. He told me that to my face. But while he told me that, the breath of which he was telling me was so saturated with alcohol that all I could smell was the alcohol and the breath of the bishop and I could give you his name, but I won't do it. And after he proceeded to tell me that I was doing nothing but tearing down the church, as he said, Dr. McIntyre, you're tearing down the church. I says, I'm sorry, sir, I'm building up the church. I'm helping to save the church from her iniquity. And then another man came along and I could tell you his name. He's written many articles and he stood there and we began to exchange back and forth and they tried to make fun of me. And then I turned to that man. I said, sir, do you believe in the virgin birth? He said, no. I said, sir, do you believe in hell? And he said, no. I said, sir, do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? He says, yes, I believe in the resurrection of Christ. I said, well, do you believe that Jesus Christ is going to come again? No, he says, I don't believe that. He says, I believe uh, the uh, second coming takes place or did take place when, when the Spirit of God came, he said. I said, you don't believe there's going to be any bodily resurrection of the dead? No, he says, that's going to happen. And I turned, I said to that man to his face, I said, sir, you're not a Christian. He had on a collar, of course, it went around his neck. And he stood up there and I said, sir, you need to be born again. And no longer, sooner did I say that, to that man and here was George Dugan of the New York Times standing right here and their big crowd standing around here McIntyre was in the middle of this hassle uh, this hassle and we were really having it and then one fellow yelled out and said you have a devil see I had a devil and I was right in the midst of that thick give and take and when the radio or the television showed our discussions with Bishop Pike as he stood there they said they were having a theological discussion Oh, beloved, this prophet Micah preached against sin. He preached against iniquity in the house of Israel. And then he turns and he says as he closes his great message, Who is a God like unto our God? We deserve the punishment. We deserve the exile. We deserve the captivity. We deserve what he says he's going to do to us. We deserve it. But who is a God like unto our God? He will abundantly pardon. And you listen to this message of salvation. You believe this glorious message that Christ came and died for your sin. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He'll be the prince in Israel. His goings forth has been from of old, from everlasting. And you listen to the story of the one whom God is sending to save you from judgment and to deliver you from hell. You listen to this message of salvation. Our God is merciful. He will abundantly pardon and he will give you life. 
Isn't it glorious that every time one of these great prophets opens up this tremendous blast against sin and he opens up in such stern language against iniquity? Oh, if we could have preachers like that in the land today. But I'm very frank to tell you that these days are rapidly passing and the whole purpose of this Federal Communications Commission, the whole purpose of this so-called Fairness Doctrine, the whole purpose of the trial of WXUR is to shift us and to move us into an area where that will no longer be possible, that men can get up and denounce Israel and denounce the churches for their apostasy and denounce the wickedness that's rising in our land, and they're going to shut that off in America. And they're moving to do it. Oh, don't let anybody tell you tonight, beloved, we're moving into days of great affliction and great persecution. It's coming. All right, now let's turn back, if you will, to the very heart of this message. Will you turn to the fourth chapter? Let me develop that for you. In the remainder of this message tonight, Right in the midst. I gave you the third chapter, you see. We went on down there and saw all this. You love the evil and you hate the good. And you've gotten everything twisted around. And you've got this chairman of the local ministerial union coming up here. And he's making the people to err. And he cries, peace, peace. You see, here it all is. Just read the, read the pronouncements in the paper tomorrow from these churchmen. Read it. Here it is right here in the book of Micah. Identically the same line. Identically the same reaction. Identically the same position. And beloved, that's why the Bible is such a comfort to men who are prophets and who do see these things. Now you turn to the fourth chapter. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountain. And it shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. There's going to be a change, beloved. There's going to be a change. Something's going to happen. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from where? Jerusalem. Isn't that magnificent? And he shall judge among many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make him afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts have spoken it, and all people will walk every one in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord of our God forever and ever. In that day, saith the Lord, I will assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. Oh, Israel, you've been afflicted, Israel. Oh, Israel, you've been driven out, Israel. But God says, I'm going to bring you back. I'll bring you back to Jerusalem. And I will make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast off 
a strong nation, and the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Micah says, your sin is here. You're going to go to Babylon. You're going to have suffering. But oh, there's a day coming when there'll be a little remnant of the house of Israel. There's a day coming. And I'm going to bring them back. And I'll gather them from all the nations where they've been scattered. Though I punished you, I'll not make a full end of it. I'll bring you back. And I'll bring you back to Mount Zion. And the Lord will come to that great mountain. And ye shall dwell in Mount Zion. Ye shall be there. And the law shall go forth. And the people will come from all sections of the earth. And they'll say, come let us go up to Jerusalem. That we might learn of the Lord. And Micah says, oh, this is ahead. Now, beloved, let's go. No, before I give you that, let's stop right here and point this out to you. He spoke about Bethlehem, Ephratah, Micah 5, 2. Though thou be little among the princes of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth. Here's the king, here's the prince. Now he comes in the fourth chapter before he ever gets to, Ju- to, to Bethlehem. He tells us that Jerusalem will be the city. Jerusalem is the place where the king's going to rule. Jerusalem is the place where finally there's going to be this universal reign of peace and the nations shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And just as he named Bethlehem as the place where the Messiah would be born, he has named Jerusalem as the place where the Messiah will reign. Jerusalem will be the city of our God. And it's the place where Messiah will reign. And I say to you tonight, living in 1967, we look back and there's not a person listening to me that knows Christianity, who knows the Lord, that doesn't believe that Micah knew what he's talking about when he said Bethlehem. Everybody knows that he was talking about the Messiah. Thou Bethlehem Ephratah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, who shall be the ruler in Israel. And his goings forth hath been from of old, from everlasting. God Almighty was to enter this world. God Almighty in human flesh was to come from Bethlehem. And you believe it. I believe it. We preach it. It's in the Word. All right, let's say the same thing about Jerusalem. The same thing about Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be the city of the king. Jerusalem is the city where he will live and reign. Just look at that great passage as that reference is made. For the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us his ways and he will enable us to walk in his path. Now let's turn back to verse 9. Please notice this. Beloved, there's more prophecies in Micah yet to be fulfilled than have already been fulfilled. And as they were fulfilled literally in Bethlehem and the birth of the Christ, they're going to be fulfilled literally in Jerusalem when they say, come, let us go up to the city of Jerusalem. Now notice verse 9. Now, why dost thou cry out aloud? Is there no king in thee? 
Is thy counselor perished? For pangs have taken on thee as a woman in travail. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon. Isn't it interesting? He named Bethlehem, he named Jerusalem, he named Babylon. This prophet called the names of the cities on this earth where the great God would bring the Messiah, where the great God would rule from Jerusalem. And he named Babylon the city of their captivity. All right, verse 11. Now also many nations are gathered against thee. Let's say, let her be defiled, and let our eyes look upon Zion. But thou knowest not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsel. For he shall gather them as sheaves into the floor. Arise and thrash, O daughter of Zion. For I will make thine horns iron, and I will make thy hoofs brass, and thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their gain unto the Lord, and their substance even unto the Lord of the whole earth. You see what he happens here. He mentions Babylon. They're going off to the Babylonian captivity. And then in verse 11, from verse 11 he moves on, clear on down to Armageddon, clear on down to the very end, you see. Many nations are gathered together against thee. Behold, I will gather all nations to Jerusalem to battle against thee. That's Zechariah 14, you know. That say, let her be defiled. Here they are. And then God says, I brought you here. I brought you here. I'm going to deliver you. And you're, you'll be like hoofs of brass. And thou'll be able to stand. The Lord's going to deliver you. And I will consecrate their gain unto the Lord. And their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. That takes you pretty close to the 11th chapter of Romans, beloved. All Israel shall be saved. All Israel. And their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. God Almighty is going to come down and deliver Jerusalem when it's compassed about by all the nations. And the little remnant will be delivered and they'll look upon him in that day and they will see the Messiah, the true Christ, the true son of David, and they will believe in him. Beloved, once you see God's program and God's plan as it's outlined in that book and then read a prophet like Micah, it just fits together so beautifully. It fits together. There's judgment and wrath and they're punished. But God is merciful and he will save. And after God sent them to Babylon, he brought them back. Even after they rejected their Messiah and they were scattered among the nations, he says, I still will have mercy upon Jacob. And a remnant shall come out of Jacob. And I shall bring them back to their land. And they shall say, let us go up to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion. Beloved, I have handled for you tonight the infallible word of God. This isn't a myth. This isn't a legend. This isn't a fairy tale. This story of Micah has Bethlehem in it. And we know all about it. 
But this story of Micah has Babylon in it. And we know all about that. But this story of Micah has Jerusalem in it. And that hasn't unfolded yet. And of all of its glory. But it's coming. And we're on the road to it. And we're in the latter days. And what God wants out of you, beloved, and what he wants out of me is the simple faith that believes him. The simple faith that says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're not going to be in this apostasy. As for me and my house, we're going to bring our children into the house of God. And we're going to establish them in the faith. We're going to establish them in the knowledge of the prophets. We're going to establish them in the truth of God. And ask the Spirit of God to save their souls. And to redeem them by his blood. That they might persevere until the end. And that we might be together in this great consummation which is just upon us. When our Savior shall come in the clouds of heaven. Even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's the cry of the church tonight. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank thee for this minor prophet, another precious gem. And how beautifully it all unfolds and fits together. But Lord, as we live in our day, in our century, in our time, oh gracious God, spare America. May we continue to have our liberty a little longer so we can rescue the coals from the burning, the brands from the burning. Lord, may men turn to God tonight. May sinners cry out for forgiveness and wilt thou save them. But, oh God, give us a Micah. Give us a Micah who'll speak to Israel, who'll speak to the church, who'll speak to thy people who've gone into sin. Lord, give us a Micah tonight in America. For Christ's sake, amen. Hymn number 438, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way.